Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 to 33. And after I read this, Jay will come and preach to us from these verses. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive, and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder, throw in your lot among us, we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my Spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called you and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Amen. Well, good evening, and um, let me add my welcome to Robins. We're glad you've been able to join us. Um, welcome. And if you're new, if you've never been to church before or you're um, just tuning in for the first time, we're, we're really pleased that you've been able to come and 
and to, to listen particularly to this part of God's Word, this book of Proverbs. Just to key you in if you've not been here, uh, we've begun a new series two weeks ago uh, in the book of Proverbs. We've just got through the first seven verses, and then we had a week's break, and now we're back uh, into this passage uh, this evening. Let me uh, pray. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Lord, all wisdom is sourced in you. And we know that we come recognising that we are lacking in this area of wisdom. And so we ask that you would speak to us tonight through your word so that we might become wise. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs is about wisdom, and don't we need wisdom right now? Two weeks ago, when we considered the topic of wisdom in the introduction to this book, we saw that the wisdom of Proverbs is not simply sort of philosophical musings, things for academics and sages, but not for real people. This wisdom is for real life, flesh and blood, nitty-gritty decision-making, This wisdom is so that we might know how to skillfully navigate through the decisions of this life, in both the light of God's word and in the fear of the Lord. We're learning together how to choose the right paths to take in any given situation that life might throw our way. We also saw in the introduction that this wisdom is available, accessible to all people who are teachable, to both young and old, to those who are simple, to those who are wise, to the immature believer, to the mature believer. All people can access this wisdom, but there is one exception in this book, and that is the fool. The fool excludes himself from wisdom, and he excludes himself because he doesn't understand the key to wisdom. He doesn't get the key, which we saw in verse 7 that to begin on the path of being wise, we must fear the Lord. What does that mean? Fearing the Lord is having a high view of God and a low view of us. It means that we must humbly recognise our own lack of wisdom and begin to listen to the Lord who is truly wise, the source of all wisdom. If we fear the Lord, if we recognise his awesome and his great wisdom, then we too can walk with the wise. But if we're proud, if we despise him and we despise his words, then we will perish, we'll go down the path of the fools. There are two paths to take in this life. This week in this chapter, Solomon gives us two appeals, or two lectures, if you like, which expand on this theme of learning to be wise. And both of them have something in common. They both are to do with listening. Solomon shows us here that who you listen to will affect the way that you live, the way that you walk, the way you navigate in life, which paths you take. And that, of course, makes sense to us. We we know this. In fact, this is very relevant to us today, isn't it? There are lots of voices out there telling us what to do. And who we listen to is going to affect how we live. In the crisis we now face, we realise just how important it is to listen 
to the wise voices. And this is a really common theme throughout the book of Proverbs. It matters who we listen to for good or for ill. There are people we should pay attention to because they're wise. And there are people who we should ignore because they will only lead us into error and ultimately destruction. The wise person learns when to listen and when to shut their ears. And they learn whose counsel to heed and who's to reject. Now, in order to understand how these two lectures work, we need to see just who the original hearer is. And it's in verse 8. The teacher here calls him my son. Now, he may or may not be the biological son of Solomon. Um, He's not named. And I think the reason he's not named is so that we can see that this applies to all of us. In order for us to benefit from this properly, though, we need to, if you like, place ourselves in his shoes, or I guess more historically accurately, his sandals. That doesn't mean that if you're not a young man, this isn't for you, not not at all. Uh, It just means that you need to think a little bit harder, perhaps, about how it applies to you. It's going to be easier for some than others. If you're a teenage young man or you're in your early 20s, then it should be fairly straightforward. Some of us uh, men, we can just about remember our teenage years. They're sort of somewhere in the fuzzy background. Um, But some of you have never been a young man. Some of you never will be a young man. And so for you, you might just need to use a little bit of imagination uh, to see where the writer's coming from. And I'll try and help you um, along the way. The first appeal is from a godly father to his son. And it's in verse 8 to 19. Just to say there should be a service order somewhere on the website um, that you're connected to and um, which will give you these, uh, these points along the way. The first appeal from a godly father to his son and he has a very simple message, don't fall in with the crowd. Imagine a home, imagine a father and, uh, uh, sorry, a, a husband and wife and their young son, teenage boy, in their living room. This is where this takes place. And verse 8 begins, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. What do we note here? Well, first of all, that parents have a responsibility to clothe their children with God's wisdom. Because of their fear of the Lord, they seek to teach their children how to navigate through life, how to make godly decisions. The home is a school where children learn from their parents' curriculum and set the paths for their lives. And that, of course, as parents, we feel is a big uh, responsibility. But look, there's a great reward when this is done well, verse 9. To listen to the teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. They're symbols of beauty, and victory. In other words, if a young person listens to the godly teaching of their parents, they'll be attractive to others and successful in a life lived the Lord's way. Here's the other side of that practical wisdom. If you're a young person, a Christian young person, you need to listen to your godly parents. They're not to forsake their teaching, to dismiss it. I think most teenagers often think that rather than a crown 
and a necklace that your parents' advice is a bit of a headache and a pain in the neck. But here we see that there's another way to think as a godly young person. You can turn to a godly parent and trust their judgment. Now that's a pretty radical idea in our culture. One particular concern that parents have, godly parents have, is that their children might fall in with the wrong crowd. At some point, the parents' influence begins to wane over them, and the influence of friends begins to increase. It's a right concern that we care about who the friends are that our children are listening to. As we saw two weeks ago, the young in Proverbs are often closely linked to those who are easily led, the simple And that's what we see here. Here's a father warning his son in advance. He's preempting this and saying that there'll be many people who seek to lead you astray. He's preparing him in advance for the temptations that will come later in life, before it's too late, and he becomes snared in them. So the father appeals to his son, says, don't listen to sinners. Don't go along with the crowd. And then he lays out for him, these are the kinds of things that they'll say. Let's look at the first half of this appeal, starting at verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pits. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. What is it in what they say, these friends say, that appeals to young men in particular, but to everyone else in general? Well, the first thing that pulls on our hearts is group acceptance. They say, come with us. Come with us. All young people want to be part of a group. They want to be on the inside, not left out. That's why gangs are so, so appealing in inner cities. That's why you always find young people in groups. The father warns that sinners will say to you, you can be one of us. And it's appealing, isn't it? You'll be tempted to do anything to fit in with the crowd. And we know that that's not just young people, is it? We feel it all the time. We feel this pull to do anything to fit in. So group acceptance, that's the first thing that pulls us to follow the crowd. The second thing is excitement. Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. They plan, they plan an ambush. They're lying in wait and, and they're waiting there in the bushes till their foe comes along. This is a thrill. Doing stuff that you know you're not supposed to do, that carries a risk with it. It's exciting. You know, why does daring people to do stupid things work? Why do people do that? Because we love the thrill. These sinners offer excitement, something our heart longs for. So group acceptance, we want that. Excitement, we want that. And then power. 
and power particularly here in the form of violence. I think this is coupled with the excitement temptation. Young men in particular are tempted by violence. All the stats on violent crime back that up. We know this is an issue in schools, in sports fields. We see it reflected in our prisons. We, we even see it in the kind of computer games that young men like to play. Violence itself has an appeal to our hearts. Why? Because it gives us power over someone else's life. It makes us feel powerful. We can act like God. We can have power over someone's life. We can decide to take a life away and send them to the grave. We feel very powerful. So we want group acceptance, we want excitement, we want power. And then fourthly, we want easy money. This is the big lure in this speech. This is where it leads up to. The violence and the excitement, well, they're actually a means to an end. Come with us and you'll get rich. Come with us and you can have every pleasure money can buy, all you desire. We'll share one purse. It's very enticing, isn't it, this, this voice, this call to us, an exciting, powerful, fulfilling life is promised by the world out there if you will only go their way, if you will fit in with them. And young people need to be alert to this pull from the world, but all of us need to hear this warning too, that the world calls to us, telling us that we can be part of something wonderful and exciting, powerful, fulfilling life, if only we will compromise on just a few things. I think it's fair to say that our world is currently distracted at the moment. But just give it a couple of weeks and this call will come again. And if it doesn't come in person, it will certainly come over our computer screens. I wonder, are you listening? Are you tempted to go the world's way, to gain what the world promises? A bit of excitement, a bit of power, a bit of wealth. Everything you desire can be had. Is the call to become one of them tempting you? Come with us. Well, listen to what the Father says in verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Look at the foolishness of heeding the call of the world to join in with its ways. Do you see the picture that he's painting for us here? It's a navigation picture. It's a walking picture. Worldly people, they're going along a path. In fact, they're not just walking, they're speeding, they're rushing along it even. And they're heading into a trap that they've made for themselves. Now the Father wants us to see here actually that this path isn't just wrong, it's stupid. 
Verse 17 shows us this. There's an illustration that the father gives here. He says that a bird, a bird won't go into a trap that it sees it's laid out for it. If, if the, the hunter just puts the trap out where the bird can see, of course it's not going to go in there, no matter how appealing the bait is. But we can be stupider than birds because we can't resist the glittering lure of the world and we fall into its trap to our own destruction. The father's point to the son is clear. He's warning him, don't listen to the call of the world. You may gain friends and excitement and power, even tremendous wealth, but you will lose everything in the end. It takes away the life of its possessors. Or as another wise man once put it, you can gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul. That's the first lecture from the Father. Here's the second, the second voice in verse 20 to 33. And it comes from a woman called Wisdom and goes to the simple, to the mockers and to fools. And her message, again, is very simple. Repent. This voice we hear in the second part of our passage is a new voice. It's a voice that we haven't heard yet in Proverbs, but she will come up again. We'll hear her voice later on in the book. It's wisdom herself who calls. Now, one of the things that the writers of the Proverbs do, often they do this, is they personify ideas or concepts um, and they have them speak to us. God's wisdom here is personified as a woman. When she speaks, she speaks as if she is speaking for the Lord. Now, it's worth mentioning that some people have misunderstood this. Um, This is not saying that God is female, not, not a statement on gender. It's not saying that women are wiser than men, although looking around, uh, you can sometimes see why people make that conclusion. What it is, it's a tool. It's a tool of the writer, and he, and he uses it to make his message hit home with his hearers. To understand this, we need, to, again, to put on the sandals of the young man. Just as young men tend to listen to their friends they also tend to listen to beautiful women, particularly if they're at the point where they're thinking about marriage. In this book, we're going to meet two women who potentially hold an attraction for the young man. We'll meet another seductive woman later on in the book, and her name is Folly, and she will seek to entice him to her ways. But we begin with hearing the voice of the true beauty of this book, Woman Wisdom, And she speaks to us directly. We're to listen to her voice and be captivated by her beauty. We're to desire her. And in the end, we're to wed ourselves to her and love her for all of our days. And that's where the book ends. In chapter 31, we meet uh, a personification of a wife who is wise. Here, as um, we meet her, she catches our attention, not in the home, but in the marketplace. She's in the crowds and she's crying out above the crowds. Verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Who's she speaking to? She's speaking to those who have already listened to the call of the world, to those who are living in its ways. 
She calls to those who have not heeded the Father's wisdom, but have started already to walk on the world's path. She speaks to fools. And she calls them. She pleads with them. And her cry for them is to repent and take a different path. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. This is the gospel appeal, isn't it? God calls to sinners and he says, if only you would turn back to me, repenting of your sin and foolishness, then I would open up the path of life to you. Exactly that. Maybe, as we read the first appeal, the one from the Father to the Son, maybe you picked up that there were some echoes in that account of of the events surrounding the death of Jesus. Now here are some of them. Just look up back up the page. There's an innocent man and his shed blood in verse 11. There's a descent to the grave, swallowed by death in verse 12. There's a, a, a bunch of people, a crowd, happy to go along with his death rather than stand up for his innocence. And there are those who make easy money from it all, perhaps like Judas. Now in the second appeal, we hear the mockers rejecting wisdom, hurling abuse, striking, isn't it, that people treat wisdom the same way that people treated Jesus Christ. It's pointing us to this truth, that rejecting wisdom is rejecting the truly wise one. And there is never something any more foolish than rejecting Jesus Christ. And that brings God's judgment on us. Look at what follows, verse 24. Because I have called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hands and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and, I would, have, and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. It's a very troubling words for us. Woman wisdom's no pushover. She declares in no certain, no uncertain language that there is danger going down the sinner's road, danger in ignoring her. All could turn to God in repentance, but many have set their trajectory and many have been walking that road for a long time. They continue in their proud foolishness. 
putting off repentance, assuming that things will turn out all right in the end, that they can sort things out with God later on. J.C. Ryle was a Victorian-era preacher. He was Bishop of Liverpool, and he wrote on these verses. And he wrote on them as a warning to young men who have heard the gospel, but who were putting off repentance until later. This is what he said. I dare say you're planning on a late repentance. You do not know what you're doing. You're planning without God. Repentance and faith are the gifts of God and they are gifts that he often withholds when they have been long offered in vain. I grant you, true repentance is never too late. But I warn you at the same time, late repentance is seldom true. That bears repeating that last phrase. There's wisdom here. True repentance is never too late but late repentance is seldom true. It rarely happens. And he goes on with an example for us. The thieves, the thieves on the cross, the thieves who were crucified either side of Jesus Christ. This is what he says. I grant you, one penitent thief was converted in his last hours that no man might despair. But I warn you, only one was converted that no man might presume. I grant you, it is written... Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Hebrews 7, verse 25. But I warn you, it is also written by the same Spirit, Proverbs 1, verse 24, because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity, I will mock when terror strikes you. A.C. Ralph says, believe me, you will find it no easy matter to turn to God whenever you please. Serious stuff, isn't it? We ignore wisdom's call to repent at our peril. We must not put it off. We may leave it too late. And many will. But we must not, and we must urge others to heed her call. But that's not where she leaves us. How does wisdom leave us in this passage? She leaves us with hope. At the end of her lecture, she gives hope to us all and hope for our friends and our relatives, no matter how far down the road they've gone. Verse 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. There is hope if only we will listen, repent and turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. The person who does that can rest secure. They can be easy. They can rest easy without dread of disaster. Now, isn't that a word we need to hear today? Let's close with a question. Whose voice 
are you listening to? Do you hear the call of the world saying, come with us? Well, Proverbs gives us a big warning. We're to listen to the voice of the Father. Don't take that path. Maybe you've realised that you're already well on the road that leads to destruction. Proverbs says, listen to the call, the gospel call of woman wisdom. She calls you to repent and trust in Jesus Christ and promises you life and peace if you do. Let's listen well. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we, as we hear um, passages like this one, we realise what a dire situation we are in, that we are so easily led into sin, and that we are so slow to come to you in repentance. Oh Lord, would you help us to hear the cause of wisdom from this passage, to avoid the path of the wicked, and to turn from it if we've already gone that way. Oh God, we thank you that when we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, he offers us his forgiveness and life in his name. And we thank you that he will help us to live a life which is pleasing to you by his spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.